So today we begin our series on carols. Pastor Brandon is going to be going through various carols over the next few weeks. You'll learn more about some of our favorite Christmas carols and why we sing what we do. Today we're going to be discussing the song, Oh Holy Night. You know, there's a a version that David Phelps does. He's part of the who's part of the Gaither vocal band in the 90s and the early 2000s and he's probably my my most favorite singer, my most favorite vocalist. He's probably the most talented vocalist out there because he can he can sing a dra- dramatic range and the song is just beautiful. But a lot of times we sing songs We don't really pay attention to all the words. We just get caught up in the emotion of the music, and we don't know what we're singing. So we're going to go through some of the most popular carols over the next few weeks. Um, And before we begin to discuss the words of the song in today's current form, let me tell you a little bit about the actual carol. So it's a French poem, originally a French poem, by a guy whose name I'm not even going to try and pronounce. (laughs) Um, He was a wine merchant in southern France. Um, He was educated by Jesuit priests, um, and he wrote this in 1843 on the occasion of the restoration of stained glass in a church. The poem begins as if lecturing the uh, the crowd, Midnight Christians is the solemn hour when the human God descended to us to erase original sin and cease the wrath of the Father. He addressed the powerful of his day, the proud with their grandeur, ordering them to humble themselves before God. Nothing of this version of the poem still exists in the song, Uh, but we sing the song, O Holy Night, and fall on your knees. That's, That's part of the song that actually still remains from the original poem. Fall on your knees, hear the angels' voices, O night divine, when Christ was born. That is, that is part that, that stays, but nothing of the, of the verses um, actually remains. But let me go ahead and look at the first verse here. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. A thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices. How many of you are weary today? How many of you are tired today? Christmas makes things just stressful, (laughs) makes things tiring and exhausting. We have a birthday on Christmas Eve. Our family celebrates Hanukkah. We got Christmas itself, Christmas Eve service, birthday party for the birthday girl, all sorts of stuff. I, I get it. I understand. That's, that particular phrase in the original poem was taken from O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. <clears throat> o Come, O Come, Emmanuel is derived from the original song of the Jews in 163 B.C., the Jews started singing this song and passing it down generation to generation, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. The song was taught and, sur- and has survived over 2,300 years. You see, the Jews were going through what was known as a period of silence. No message from God, no prophets, no judges, no kings, no salvation from oppressors. The Romans came in in the 300 B.C. and took over. It was like the 10th different group that had taken over in 1,000 years. And nothing from God. 
The Jews, by the time Jesus came, the Jews had gone from depending on God for everything to being so weary that they barely remembered what hope and peace looked like. So the song, O Holy Night, and the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, at the very beginning, a thrill of hope, the weary soul, what weary soul are they discussing? They're discussing the weary soul of the Jews before Jesus came. A thrill of hope, they know the Messiah is coming. He finally comes in a weary world, rejoices on the night of his birth. What did the shepherds do? They ran to see after the angels told them. They ran to see what was in Bethlehem. And then they spread out from there and shared what they had seen on that night. <clears throat> a weary soul rejoices. Weary because God had been silent. You know, silence can be difficult. Amen? Who does not like to sit in silence? I don't like to sit in silence. It's not fun. It's not my favorite thing. However, I drive a lot, so I get to sit in silence. <laughs> silence can be difficult. Silence can bring out the worst in us sometimes if we allow ourselves to overthink it. Silence can also be an agent of change in a chaotic world. Jesus didn't come in a huge parade when he came to earth. He didn't come as a conquering hero like most of the Jews of the time thought he would. He came quietly. In the dead of night, in a small town in Judea, he came quietly. A weary world. You know, the word weary means feeling or showing tiredness, especially as a result of excessive exertion or a lack of sleep. Many times we can get so caught up doing Christmas that we actually miss Christmas. We get caught up in the hustle and bustle when we forget that Jesus wants us to celebrate. He wants us to enjoy the moment, to enjoy Christmas. The fact that, that he actually came from his place in heaven to, li to live with us here on earth. He wants us to experience and express joy. He wants us to experience and express peace. He wants us to be able to share him with the people around us. He wants to rest with us. And he wants to sit next to us while we sit in silence. You might say, there's no time for silence. I can't, I can't be quiet. Do you know how many parties my kids have? Do you know how many soccer games or sports games or whatever else is going on or happening? Do you know how many work Christmas parties there are? Do you know where I've got to travel to visit that family member and travel to visit that family member? Yes. Yes, I do. But God still wants us to rest. Are you listening for the grace and the peace of Jesus to be evident in your conversations with him? Are you taking time to make the moments alone? Silence is good, but if we don't actually take time to listen for his voice, we might miss something important. So silence is difficult. Silence might not be comfortable, but it's important, especially in a chaotic and busy season like this, because he came in silence. He came in a quiet moment. We have to listen for his voice or we're going to miss something. Are you constantly setting up plans and making time for the rush but missing the moments for God? I'm going to say it again. Peace comes with silence. Peace comes with trusting God. It comes with allowing God to work in the moments around you, even in the midst of chaos. Now, we talk about how it was a silent moment in the grand scheme of things. But there are many of you that have had children, and it's not a silent moment. <laughs> it's not a peaceful moment until the baby is here and in your arms, right? 
So while in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't a mighty conqueror coming and destroying the Romans, and it wasn't a massive parade for a new king that was being set up over the kingdom of Judea, but it was Jesus coming in a human form, in flesh, to a woman here on earth. For Mary, there wasn't anything holy about the experience. If we look at how everything started for her, she was probably incredibly stressed out. Mary's journey starts this way. And let's look at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 29. I think we're going to eventually go all the way to 38. But if you have your Bibles or you have your app with you, go ahead and open up to Luke, 20, uh, Luke 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went out to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Greatly troubled. In the Greek here, the word is diastroso, to agitate with great alarm. So not just bother, not just worried, agitate with great alarm. It doesn't seem to do justice. The scripture saying that our English translation of that word doesn't seem to do justice, greatly troubled to what Mary might have thought. She had never seen an angel before, and all the descriptions of them in scripture are frightening. She would have heard Isaiah 6. She would have read that or it would have been read to her in temple or at home at some point. There's two wings covering their eyes. There's two wings covering their feet. And there's two wings flying. A six-winged crazy figure I've never seen. Her response, her response was probably one of fear in the immediate moment. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, continuing in verse 30. You have found favor with God. And that's the second time he's mentioned favor. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He'll be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Well, Mary was told that a king was coming. Well, maybe their hopes had been realized, and he was going to come as a conqueror. <clears throat> but his kingdom will never end. Mary said, how will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. For those of you that don't know, briefly, Elizabeth was John the Baptist's mother. And she was over the age of 80. She had never had a child. And God blessed the one coming before Jesus. She was to be said unable to conceive and is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. So she's being told, she asked the question, how is this supposed to happen since I'm a virgin? She's being told, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. What does that mean? To someone who hasn't heard from God, hasn't experienced his voice, doesn't know anything other than what she's been told. Remember, she might be between the age of 12 and 15 here. What does that mean, the power of the Most High? What's going to happen? 
It was common in those days to get married around the age between 12 and 15, but the angel of the, of the Lord says the word from God will never fail. She spent her entire life hearing stories about this Most High that just spoke to her. No one in her lifetime had experienced that. There must have been fear, but listen to what she says next. In verse 38, she says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So we talked about how silence can be difficult. We talked about how if we don't listen to God in that silence, we're going to miss something. If you don't understand what the Lord is saying, if you're calling, if you're calling to me, if you're calling me to it, then you must do something with it. Many heard, Mary heard God's call, heard God's call, and ran to, with it in an instant. She allowed herself to be silent when this was probably the most frightening news originally that she had ever heard. <clears throat> I'm going to say that again. If you're calling me to it, then you're doing something with it. She allowed herself to be silent and accept God's call. Let's jump forward to the birth of Jesus. There was a decree from the, from the, the Roman emperor at the time that everyone should be counted. So they actually had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And we're going to put a, a picture up here. They had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Oh, the other one. Uh-oh. Well, I had fancy circles on it and just didn't transfer. I apologize. <laughs> so right up there you see Nazareth. I wish I had a pointer. Nazareth is at the end of that red dotted line. And Bethlehem is all the way down here south of Jerusalem. This is about 90 miles. In today's time, with the terrain, it takes about 2 hours and 15 minutes to drive there. But they were coming on a donkey. <laughs> and she was pregnant. She was 9 months pregnant when she had to go to Bethlehem from Nazareth. You think they went very far on a donkey? <laughs> I know I wouldn't have gone very far when, my, when, when all three of my children were about to be born. There's no way we would, we would have gone very far. You know, James F. Strange, who in 1995 was a New Testament and biblical archaeological professor at the University of Southern Florida, he said, the world of Mary and Joseph was a difficult and dangerous place. They didn't have roads. They didn't have cars. They didn't have the various luxuries that we have today. <clears throat> it was one whose harsh conditions were not fully chronicled in the gospel accounts. Writers of the Gospel of Matthew and Luke are so lax about explaining the understanding because they assume the reader would know. They don't have an understanding of what we have today either. We have no idea, he ends the statement with, we have no idea how difficult this journey was. But we can imagine if it's two hours and 14 minutes by car today with roads and the mountainous terrain of various parts between Nazareth and Bethlehem could have taken days, maybe even weeks for her and Joseph to make it. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's probably actually like walking from here to Virginia Beach. You're just going to walk all the way to the Virginia Beach boardwalk. Who's up for that? No? Okay. <laughs> Me neither. I'll drive. <laughs> 
So when they get there, we have this, we have this picture in our minds because of what uh, culture has taught us over the last few years. We have this picture in our mind that, of a sweet little stable and a, and a calm moment with a, a sheep and a donkey and an angel. and That's not what it looks like. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what it looks like. It's anything but that. It wasn't a stable. It wasn't a cave. But guess what? It was probably a house. They were actually in a house inside Bethlehem. Don't believe me? Let's look at Luke 2, verses 6 and 7. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. We like to think the word is in because that's what we've been told. A lot of good and godly people over the years have told us that the word is in. But if you actually look at the original Greek There's two different words, and I should have put them on the screen because I'm not going to try and pronounce them. (laughs) There's two different words. One means in and one means guest room, but the one here is guest room. Let's go ahead and throw that picture up there of the the house. So this is a picture of a house at the time of Jesus' birth, a house in Bethlehem based on archaeological data, based on things that we've been able to find of historical data from the Romans, based on things that we've been able to find from actually doing archaeological digs in the area. This is what a house looked like. So a family might have had a goat. They might have had a few sheep. They might have had a few animals, and they weren't going to keep them out in the cold. They were going to bring them in. So you see there's a courtyard. There's a a kitchen and a storage area that are going to be very close to where the animals are because they milk the animals, they milk the goat, they milk the cow, they milk whatever they have and they bring things straight to the kitchen. Upstairs is where they sleep. Now, you remember, all sorts of people were there, and so there probably were plenty of people upstairs already sleeping or already there when Mary and Joseph arrived. They weren't going to leave her out in a cave. At the time, culturally, it would never have made sense in that part of the world to turn away a pregnant woman. I don't know how many of you have visited the Middle East at all, My wife lived in the Middle East for two years, and to turn away a pregnant woman, what would have happened, Melissa? It wouldn't have have happened. They're a shame-based culture, and so to turn away someone in need like that, it wouldn't have happened. Melissa visited houses uh, of various friends and various people that she connected with, and they would give up the last thing that they had in order to make sure that she had the best experience possible. So a member of their family, they would have brought her in. She still would have been exhausted. She still probably traveled a a whole bunch. She was away from her home, and now she had a baby. But any of you who have been part of a birth understand the stress and the exhaustion and the difficulty that it can be. But I haven't met one person who's a parent today that isn't the next day joyful, excited, full of hope. Because it's a new thing, a new day, a new journey, a new life. After all three of my children were born, even though there were very stressful medical situations, I allowed myself to take moments of silence and to pray and to praise God for his goodness and peace through it all. Something new was happening. I I had to seek peace. And in that moment, Joseph had to seek peace. He had to seek, even though it was stressful, even though he didn't know exactly what was happening, he had to seek peace. Because to take the next words of the, of the line, a new and glorious morn on the birth of Christ was available to the world. 
hope had actually become present in the world. You know, I wrote a song for our daughter, Lacey, when she was about three days after she was born. Um, She came six weeks early. Lacey came six weeks early, and, and we were not at home. Melissa had been visiting her family up in Rochester, New York, and so she was at um, a very good hospital, very good children's hospital, so it was perfect that it actually happened there. But we were away from uh, where our home was. We were away from my parents, away from a lot of various things, and there was a blizzard going on. <laughs> I, I was actually in Pennsylvania when Melissa went into labor. She was in Rochester, New York, and so I, I sped all the way there. <laughs> Tried to make it there. You know, I wrote a song for Lacey, and so she had been born on December 24th. She's a Christmas Eve baby. Being six weeks early, we couldn't hold her for the first 24 hours. We didn't know what was going on. The doctors didn't know what was going on. It was a waiting game to see if she would eat, to see if she would breathe on her own, to see if uh, any number of things that were happening in that moment, to see if those things would actually if she, if she could actually, you know, survive outside of the womb so early. And so I wrote a song, and there's going to be something that comes up here on the screen, some pictures and, and things of Lacey when she was a baby, um, just after she was born. But I did this. Let's go ahead and listen to it. Jesus. 
Jesus knew. Now the doctors had to put things on her eyes because she couldn't blink and produce tears properly. So they had to the wet, wet things to where her eyes wouldn't crush shut. They had to put a feeding tube in her a few different times. We had to stay at the Ronald McDonald house. Gratefully, there was a Ronald McDonald house nearby to be able to stay because we weren't allowed in there all the time. Stressful moments, difficult seasons, silence is difficult, not knowing what's happening. If you want to put the uh, points up again for me, silence is difficult, but in that silence we have to listen for his voice. You know, I went to the chapel two days into our experience. Melissa still wasn't out of the hospital either. Melissa was still hospitalized herself. So Melissa, my wife, and Lacey, my first daughter, were both still, we didn't know what was happening. We, we, were, we were unsure. <clears throat> and I started, I sat at the chapel piano, because that's what I do. <laughs> I sit at a piano. <laughs> and As I've done many times, I said, God, this is something you're going to have to take care of. This is something I can't do. So I'm going to sit here for a minute. I'm going to listen. Silence is difficult. Especially when you don't know what's going on. Listening for his voice can take time, especially when you don't know what's going on. Hearing his call and answering it, even when you don't know what's going on, it leads us to the last point, an opportunity to seek his peace. Music gives me peace. Music brings hope to a different perspective in my mind. And so in that moment, at the Strong's Memorial Hospital Chapel, I started playing around on the piano. I started putting things together. I started writing down lyrics. The next night at the Ronald McDonald House, they had a piano too. (laughs) I started writing more things. And I went in the afternoon and started putting this together on the 26th, two days after she'd been born. 
And on the 27th, finish that song. Silence can be difficult. Listening for his voice is vital. If you're calling me to it, then you're going to do something with it. And seek his peace in the midst of it. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. What a hope, guys. God came here. Amen? What a hope. What a joy. What a peace. And how many people outside these doors don't know it? Take some time this week to sit in silence and ask God, who needs that hope? If you need that hope, ask God, show me that hope and listen. What does it look like to believe in the Lord's new and glorious morning? There's a, a musician um, who goes by Yonder Breaks. That's his stage name. And he wrote in December of 2015 this. And so we find ourselves in this state, weary and lost. But then in the dark of the night and out of chaos, stars lead us to the place where we meet the Savior, the solution, Christ the Lord. We accept him for who he is and are driven to our knees in awe and worship. As the song says, fall on your knees, Christ is born. After that, nothing is the same. The bright light of another day carries new meaning. We have hope that there is more to this life than our frantic pursuits. There can be purpose, purpose that extends beyond what we can see, hear, and feel. Seek his peace in every moment, in the chaos, in the fear, in the joy, in the hope, in the sadness, in the pain, in the love, in all of it. Seek his peace. Jesus never promised that we would have what we wanted, that we would have it easy, that we would have it simple. He never promised nothing would go wrong. In fact, he promises the opposite in various places throughout Scripture. He says, in those troubles, in our suffering, while we are weary, we can have hope because of a new and glorious morning. Amen? Church, why don't you pray with me? God, thank you for sending your son here to show us silence, to show us how to listen, to show us how to seek first your kingdom. God, thank you for the opportunity to know more about how you want to love us more, how you want to provide peace, how you want to provide hope, how you want to provide joy to a world that is weary. God, this morning we are grateful for the opportunity to read these words in a comfortable setting, to read these words in our home, to be able to take the message of the gospel and read it whenever we want to. God, help us to be silent, to listen for you as we read that scripture, to be silent and to listen for you as we go into a month of chaos. 
God, thank you for who you are and for how you can work in each of our lives. Help us to take that silence, that listening, that answering your call, and to seek peace. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.